Jesus' disciples were curious about the last days, no different than we are. They wouldn't call them the last days. They would call them the end of the age. So they asked him two specific questions. First, when will this temple be destroyed? And second, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? For the past few weeks, we've been in the 24th chapter of Matthew's gospel, listening to Jesus' response to those two questions and to questions they didn't necessarily answer, ask, but Jesus felt these were the important questions to have been asked. And we'll look at that very briefly. In Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, he said, Don't be deceived. He says, There will be imposters who claim to be me, to bring answers to life's challenges. Don't be led astray from me. In those same verses, he said, Don't panic. There will be much trouble in the world. There will be war and terror, famines and earthquakes. And these will come with greater intensity and greater frequency, like the pains of childbirth. Don't let these troubles distract you from me. It's what will happen. Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't panic. Third, he says, stand firm. Finish strong. You will be hated persecuted and martyred because of me. Don't give in and don't give up. Stay close to me and to each other. Don't let the love I give you for me and for one another grow cold. Stay fervent. Stay vital. And in Matthew 24, 14, he gives us the real sign of his return, the thing that triggers his return. None of these other things trigger his return. They're just foreboding things that will take place. Here's what will trigger his return. The gospel is brought to everyone. He is saying, you know my heart, my believers. I want everyone to know my heart and receive my salvation. Your task is to bring my love and my message of salvation to your family, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your enemies, to the whole world. When that task is complete, I will come. That's his call. That's what matters to him for us to know about the end times. This morning, I want to walk with you through more of Jesus' response to the questions of his first disciples. So I'd ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Matthew 24. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, it's page 982. And pray with me that God will speak into our lives this morning, not just the message he wants us to hear, but the love and the power he wants us to receive and demonstrate and share with others. Pray with me as we dive in together. Father, help each of us here today to receive what you have for us what you have for us as a church, what you have for us personally. May the words spoken truly come from you, from your mind, from your heart. Protect us from any other words that may show up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15. We'll read a few verses here and then stop for a moment and speak of them. 
So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take everything out of anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, I believe that Jesus has totally changed the context, the time frame of his response to his disciples that began in verse 15. He is no longer answering the question about the sign of his coming and the end of the age. Here he is speaking directly to the first question that they asked, the question about the destruction of the temple. And he calls it what Daniel called it in his prophecies in Daniel 9 and 11, the abomination that causes desolation. And he says, let the reader understand. You understand that? Maybe. Well, tell me, Pastor. Okay. Most all scholars agree that both Daniel and Jesus are referring to a time when a man will set himself up or a statue of himself up as God to be the object of worship in the temple originally built by Solomon in Jerusalem. That is an abomination. This happened four four decades after Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. In 70 AD, Titus led seven legions of the Roman army into Jerusalem to set up the worship of the Roman emperor in the temple and then proceeded to destroy the temple and much of Jerusalem. That is a desolation. He's speaking about that time frame, I believe. Not our time frame, not the end of the age, but the end of something that was near and dear to the new Christians that had come to believe in Christ in Jerusalem and certainly to affect the Jews who had yet to believe in Jesus being their Messiah. I believe this was a word to those first and second generation believers who had become Christians. I believe that Jesus was instructing them to get out of town when this begins to happen. Don't fight it, flee it. As a consequence, the believers in the gospel began to be spread throughout the Mediterranean basin. And I believe verses 21 and 22 speak of those days. Now, I want to be clear. There are other interpretations of this text. Matthew 24, 15 to 22 can be plumbed in many ways. There are scholars and preachers who have put these verses into the end days scenarios that tie them into Daniel, 1 Thessalonians, and Revelation given to the Apostle John. While what those scholars and preachers have done is both possible and incredibly fascinating, it seems to me that Jesus is not giving some clue about an elaborate scenario of the end times. He doesn't seem to do that 
anywhere in anything he taught that's recorded in the Gospels. Instead, he was responding directly and simply to the first questions the disciples asked, when will this destruction happen? And he's not only answering the question that it's coming and it's soon, but also what to do when it happens. Get out of Dodge. Don't stick around. Don't try to fight it. This is going to happen. I am not so inclined to try and figure out all this scenario stuff. I've seen it dead-ended way too many times in my years in ministry and walk with Jesus. What I see that can be applied here is that there's also a personal abomination that leads to a personal desolation. Whenever someone sets themselves or another human in the place of God, it is always disastrous, always. If I start acting like I'm the God and Lord of my own life, it'd be trouble, wouldn't it, Carolyn? She would point it out to me. I thank God for her. She would do that. I hope that we would do that with each other. But as you look at history, maybe even just your own history or certainly the history of the church, when people do that, when a pastor does that, you know, I once teased here at a meeting. I think it was here. I know I did it in Easton. But I teased at a meeting. They were talking about a name change possibly. And I suggested, well, how about St. Craig the Divine? They voted it down. Go figure. That would be an abomination. It's God's church. It belongs to him. It belongs to his son who redeemed us to make us part of it. It belongs to the Holy Spirit who lives within us and gives us the power to act like the children of God, to speak like the children of God. It is a personal abomination that leads to a personal desolation when we take on God in our own lives. Let's let God be God and let's us be followers of his son. That is more than enough for living a life of faith. With that in mind, I want to move on to the next section when he goes back to this notion of when. Turn again to Matthew 24, beginning in verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Once again, Jesus is raising his concern about how easily we can be deceived. He realizes how easily we're distracted, therefore how easily we can become deceived. So when, Jesus is saying, you won't need someone to tell you when I come. I've already told you, I am coming. Let it be enough. He said, he's coming. Everything else he said, he has done. He will do that. We continue in verse 26. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, 
There the vultures will gather. What is he saying? I think it's simple, really. If we don't work at it too hard, you can get it. You won't miss my return. Oh, did it happen? Will never be something that any human being alive at the time will be able to say. You won't miss his return. Don't go out search, searching for him. He comes and will be seen and heard by all. He is not doing this in some secretive way to just some people. It's universal. As lightning is seen, so will Jesus' coming be. And the darker, the more dismal life at the time, the more brilliant the lightning appears. You ever been wakened by a thunderstorm at night? You don't see the lightning, but you see the flash and you hear the thunder, especially if it's close by. Just a couple days ago, we had a lightning strike just a half a mile from our house. It was almost instantaneous, the lightning strike and the thunder. It shook everything. But more, it was in the middle of the night, we saw the flash. You can't get away from it. It's overwhelming. And as vultures don't miss a carcass, I mean, think about that. Can you see two vultures talking to each other? Well, you know, Fred, it really stinks down there, but I didn't see that carcass. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it either. There's nobody saw it, seen it. It's just, it's rotten, totally rotten now. I won't have anything to do with it. Vultures will never miss a, miss a carcass. You can see the turkey vultures in Connecticut flying around the roadkill on the highways or on the parkways or on the back roads most particularly because the cars go a little slower there. They don't miss a carcass. We will not miss the coming of Jesus. When he comes, we will know it, no matter if we believe or don't believe, no matter if we follow or don't follow. It will be like the lightning in the darkest night. It will be like a vulture that sees a carcass and has a meal. In a nutshell, Jesus' return will be public. It will not be private. Jesus' return will be obvious. It will not be secretive. We continue with verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Quoting from Isaiah 13.10. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Quoting from Isaiah 34.4. Jesus once again reminds the the disciples that the day of his coming will be during great distress. And he quotes quotes Isaiah the prophet because Isaiah got it right. I don't think Isaiah knew what he was saying. He wrote what he was told to write. Jesus gives the interpretation of those verses. The day of his coming will be during great distress. And Isaiah is correct. Something will happen to darken the sun and the moon. Oh, there's all kinds of guesses what that might be. From nuclear holocaust to volcanoes exploding, there's all kinds of things that can darken the sun and the moon. Stars will be falling. What does that mean? Well, one pop psychologist, theology person in the 60s said, well, that's really John seeing when he talks about it in Revelation, that's him seeing rockets flying through the air and it looks like falling stars at night. Maybe. I think it's saying this. When it comes, it will be cataclysmic. It will be big. It will be very, very big. We continue, verse 30. 
At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus is referring again to his coming and the response of the people. First, nations will mourn when he appears. Why? I think for some it will be fear, and for others it will be great joy. It's finally happening. But there will be tears. His coming will be astounding with power and great glory. He will not come alone. It's not just Jesus showing up. It's the heavenly realm. The angels will be coming with him. You ever wondered what an angel looked like? You'll find out then. It will be amazing. This is an enormous thing that's going to take place. And the elect will be gathered. Who are the elect? The elect are those whom God has chosen and who have responded to his choosing. They are the ones that God has chosen and who have responded to his choosing. From one end of the heavens to the other. What is that saying to us? It's a significant gathering. Perhaps opening doors far beyond our experience and understanding. Far beyond just the planet earth and the people who live here, possibly. From one end of the heavens to the other, the doors will be opened. We continue in verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it, or it could be translated he, is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation, or also translated race, will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The fig tree. Fig tree, like most living plants, gives signs when life is returning, and it will once again thrive. I've given you signs when real life will come, Jesus said. Then he says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these have happened. As I said before, and we read the text, the word generation can also be translated race. He is not literally speaking of a Jewish generation, which is a limited 40 years. It's bigger, obviously. Perhaps he's saying the church, perhaps he's saying the Jewish people, the people he originally chose, would not come to an end. Jesus concludes with another Passaway statement. Heaven and earth, speaking physically, heaven and earth as a universe will pass away, but he continues, my words will never pass away. They're eternal. We continue, verse 36. Are you still with me? It's a lot of stuff. Verse 36. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. 
Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken, the other left. There's no question from Jesus about timing. His response here cannot be nuanced. He is either believed or he is not believed. As quoted in the Bible, Jesus is crystal clear. No one knows the day nor the hour. No one. No one will even guess it. Don't listen to those who give a date or a time. They are always wrong. They always have been. They always will be. God has made it clear through his son. No one knows. Jesus will come instantly during the normal living of our daily lives. So, let us be about the work Jesus has given us. Our normal days are to be spent in being good news people. Our normal days are to be spent having a good news attitude. Our normal days are to be spent in doing and saying good news things. It should be good news whenever we show up anywhere. Boy, I'm glad that person came. That's how the response should be when we show up. If the response is different, we need to pray to God for help to be what he wants us to be. People of good news. People of blessing, of encouragement, of hope, of help, of friendship, of genuine, authentic care for other human beings, no matter who they are, what they do, what they say, what they choose to believe. We are to be good news people. What they are, that's up to them and God together. Listen to what Bible scholar and commentator Lawrence Richards has written. Quote, What is important to note is that in prophecy, the time elements and sequences are seldom clear. The prophet had insights into the foretold events, but often they could not fit them together. It is always dangerous to attempt to erect tight prophetic systems in which we confidently sequence the future according to clues provided in the scriptures. Prophecy is not designed to give us a future history book which can be written before the events. Prophecy is designed to have a penetrating impact on our lives and values now. Bible prophecy is meant to have an impact on the present. Jesus is coming back. That will happen. We can count on it. Let him be reigning on the throne of each of our lives. The throne, that's our control room. That's the brain and the heart, the life combined. Who's in charge there? Who makes the decisions? Who creates the responses or the reactions? To whom do we turn for those kinds of things? Let him be reigning on the throne of our lives. Until he comes, our mission is to give the good news to others, all others. Now, you've heard this three Sundays in a row. It's because that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Not, here's how it's going to happen, and here's what country does what, and here's the timetable. No, I'm coming. Get people ready for my arrival. 
because my heart is what I want known. My love is what I want known. And it's up to us to display that by how we are. Let's bring this gospel of love with our attitude. Let's bring this gospel of love with our actions. Let's bring this gospel of love with our words. Let's bring it. That's our mission. Let's bring his love. That's what matters. More than all the other things, Jesus declares this is what matters. May it be so. Let us pray. Jesus, you brought life to us from heaven. You've asked us now to bring your heaven life to others. Help us to want to bring it. Help us to bring it in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus. Give us the want and the help. Amen.